Hi there, welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Nevsh and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skiff Meetings. And in this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Andrew Fleming-Brown, the Managing Director of SWG3. Our conversation revolves around community and sustainability, and in particular, the work that Andrew and his partners and his team are doing at SWG3, an iconic independent venue in Glasgow, Scotland. We talk about how the whole venue and project was community built from the start and how they balance a for-profit venue hire and culturally led projects. We talk about how the area was developed into a vibrant quarter with a clear environmental policy. We talk about SWG3's unique heating system called Body Heat, launched in 2021 at COP26, that captures heat from attendees and stores that heat and then uses it to heat the facilities at a later time. We talk about the ambitions for SWG3 becoming a circular campus. And we talk about the constant need to reimagine how to use the space and how to engage with the local community. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and don't forget to check out the other episodes of the podcast on our website or via your favorite podcast service. And now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, everybody. Delighted to have you join us today on the podcast. Today uh, with me, I have Andrew Fleming-Brown, the Managing Director of SWG3. Um, Andrew, delighted to have you on the podcast. Hi there. Yeah, it just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it, SWG3? I remember when we came up with that, um, short abbreviating Studio Warehouse and G3 being the the postcode we're in, we got got a lot of backlash. But... um, it's it's yeah. kind of it's mellowed now, so um, it's good to hear you having a few. <laughs> it's funny. I, I guess I'm used to sort of you know postcodes and, and things, and you have that uh, that SW three kind of jumps. It's like oh yeah, there's a, there's an extra letter in there, so so jump in there. Yeah, I mean, it, it, people immediately think we're based in London, but uh, um, you know when we're doing some kind of international conversations, but um, obviously um, you know Glaswegian. Uh, Accents are, are fairly strong, although mine's quite mild, actually. So hopefully that, that doesn't give you Absolutely. too many difficulties. Easy, easy to understand, which is great. I know, I know um a lot of people call you Mutley, or that seems to be the the, the, the kind of name that you go by in, in many circles or most circles. Um but why are we speaking to you today? I think we, we should answer that question first. And I'd love you to kind of introduce yourself and and of course introduce SWG3 and and do explain Mutley as well, because I think that's a, that's always fascinating. That comes up in every article I've I've been able to pull up on you. Well, Mutley goes back 30 years, you know, it's a schoolboy nickname. And uh of all the nicknames that were getting chucked around at that point, I, I think I came off pretty lightly uh, in comparison to others. So um yeah, I, I you know, asthmatic and uh, used to laugh like the dog in the wacky races. So, um, 
Yeah, just, it, it was kind of gifted. I wouldn't say kindly, but it stuck uh, with friends. <laughs> well, you and, wear it with uh, pride now, right? It's just become so, something part of you. It works. It's easy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been with me a long time. Uh, SWG3 has been with me a long time. We've been kind of working our way down here 18, 19 years, really. We took over mm-hmm. a derelict, well, pretty much derelict building back in 2003, 2004, started to kind of, work develop it into artist studios initially um i'd been out at uh, I, I studied at gray's in aberdeen and uh, was lucky enough to do a little bit of studying in new york and uh, found ps1 and did some invigilating there out there and that kind of idea of a multi-discipline art space was was quite new to us in, in scotland and in glasgow and you know, I just took a lot of that learning, I think, into what has become this space. But it was a very different place back then. I mean, our windows were polythene sheets that we'd uh, <laughs> staple gun to timber frames. And they were like that for many years. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, I guess it's been a labor of love, but it's become a, a fairly established cultural venue in Glasgow and, and, and wider um, as we've managed to take on more space around here the took over the warehouse next door which was a galvanizers in 2016 and that kind of opened up our programming even further to you know more established artists and gave us some outdoor space but we were always you know these are these are old warehouses that we occupy they weren't designed for people or the kind of program that we operate they were designed for storing goods and kind of heavy industry and you know I was very conscious of that and um you know, 2019, we were really starting to assess the environmental performance of our buildings. We're a building-based arts organization, so a lot of our content and activity happens on site. We do do some other work elsewhere, but we're very much about this this place. And um, mm-hmm. we just wanted to try and improve that uh, environmental performance. And that's how uh, we got into conversation with Town Rock Energy and how we were very busy that year. So the idea that our audience could become a a source of our energy uh, very quickly became a trigger point of well, the conversation. Yeah. Let's let's backtrack. There's a lot of information there. I want to make sure our, our okay. readers, our <laughs> listeners are, are really kind of following I try to skim so. over the last 18 years quite quickly. Because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff I want to forget, especially those first 10. <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, it sounds like a labor of love, but so SWG3 um, started off as a derelict site. You were inspired by your studies and the work that you were doing in arts and culture, etc. And you took what was a, a warehouse um, and, and kind of surrounding area and you made a an arts venue, right? And when was this? Which year was this? So we took on the building and I took a lease on the building in 2003. 2004. How, yeah. Tell me about that like conversation with when you took the lease. Like, was the was yeah. the, was that a, like was that like? Are you serious? You're going to build a club here, really? Kind, I mean, kind of we weren't we weren't going to build a club. We had no plan, no business plan at all. I literally fell in love with the the building. The mm-hmm. it was it was okay. So there was a ground floor businesses. So they were kind of uh, a motorbike mechanic was down there. There was a powder coater and there was a. There was a wedding car, a hire company. So there was these old Daimlers in, in the ground floor. So it was very kind of, you know, it was uh, kind of added a lot to the character. On the floors mm-hmm. above, there was uh, some illegal parties, illegal raves running. 
And, yeah. uh, you know, at the time I, I attended and enjoyed, and then we uh, ended up kind of putting on a couple of events ourselves up on the, to- on the first floor. And, you know, back then you were, you, you were the promoter, you were working the bar. And then the next day you come back and you clean up the mess, you know, you do everything when you do these yeah. kind of events. So um, we came back the next day and I took a wander up to the second floor and it was just this kind of vast daylit kind of space of opportunity and excitement that I just did not want to let go of. So I went and found out who owned the building like on the Wednesday, the day after we'd cleaned up. And I just said, I want to take a lease on of the top two floors. Obviously there were businesses on the ground floor. So he was very quickly <laughs> came to a figure that I just didn't know how I was going to come, you know, manage. But uh, yeah, I just used to kind of we just used to pay him a a nice amount of money that uh, every month, and uh, he did never invest a penny in his building. He was just delighted that we were we were doing that for him. And uh, seven years later, we finally broke him down, and he sold me the whole building. Um, wow. So yeah, it was it was not massively through business planning or design it was just a, a kind of real sense of you know an opportunity with the space absolutely and so you managed to get different types of funding you funded it yourself how, how did that all work because I've, I've i've done a bit of research but it seems like there was a a very convoluted kind of route through all of that yeah again not not through design so i mean uh, a lot of our improvements were made through um putting on parties so we wanted to create uh, studio spaces and an exhibition and event space, which was different to what the city had to offer at the time. But obviously just not having a long lease, not having a kind of security in the building, it's very difficult to attract any investment. So we used to just chip away at it and do it ourselves. So if we needed new electricity mains put in, we'd do an electricity party. And, you know, the funds would then go towards that. And if we needed to clear out a lot of mess, we did skip parties. We did quite a lot of skip parties. I think we filled about <laughs> 25, 40-yard skips over those first few years. Yeah. Uh, These I mean, were sort of like half community engagement parties, half kind of I fundraisers. Mean, community engagement kind of is, uh, is definitely a kind of you know, putting a twist to that, but it certainly, it certainly engaged the the kind of cultural community and kind of, we were hugely supported by that artistic community in Glasgow and um, that, that went a long way. And that was, you know, through people helping out, coming down and just helping build walls and clear mess. And just, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of fun and, uh, you know, we were, um, if we didn't know the, the, what the long-term real plan was, but you know, from day one, there was a kind of integrity to to do something of quality, and there was also a, a, a way, a mechanism to fund and and do that, and it was very much self-sufficient. We weren't going for funding at that point. We just wanted to get get in there and create something ourselves. And I think we've taken that approach right the way through. You know, our um, up until recently, all our development work and capital projects have been self-funded, um, whether that's through revenue or through uh, loans, bank loans. But we've recently had significant public investment. Um, but that wasn't the case for the first you know, 15 or so years. Okay. And so it, it sounds like, like, a, like a really interesting project. Like I said, it doesn't have a kind of big plan to, to start off with, but... What does it look like today? Um, you know, the kind of events that you're running. I know you have multiple spaces within one site. Could you just give us a sort of like overview, like how many people actually end up going to events there in, in a whole year and, and kind of the different spaces that are being used in different ways? 
Yeah, so we're, we're, we're basically two large warehouses connected together with four venue spaces across the two, all indoors. Uh, the smallest being the Poetry Club, which is 130 capacity. Then we have a 500 capacity, which is the, was the first venue we did back in 2011. It was also the home to those illegal raves back many, many years ago. And then more recently, we put a thousand capacity venue on the ground floor of that same warehouse. And then in 2016, when we bought the galvanizers, we developed a 1300 capacity venue. Now, these all operate individually, or you can kind of, you know, work a multi-room festival type event, which gives us lots of unique programming opportunities and also gives music promoters the the chance for um, if bands are selling well to move them up a room. Or if ticket sales are, are not going as planned, then they can uh, move down to a smaller room within the venue. So not having to remarket, which is quite quite attractive. So that's our events offer. We also, um, from day one, we've built up a, an artistic community. So there's always been workspace here, predominantly artist studios and more recently you know, design studio space and retail space. So mm-hmm. there's about 120 people that work through the building as residents and we have a staff of around about 100 uh, sometimes a little less sometimes a little more during the busy period so there's about 200 people all kind of um, based out of the buildings Um, I should say the buildings also include a number of railway arches that lead up to our our warehouses which we started to take on about 15 years ago uh, as we always wanted to expand that creative community out of the warehouse and into the street it's fascinating. So um, is there a particular flavor to an event there or are you open to absolutely any type of event? I mean, can you give us a, a range of the types of events that, that you've seen happen there? Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of in terms of our program, we only promote um, or book 25 percent of the of the content. 75 percent comes from other promoters and mm-hmm. You know, there's there's certain artists we w- would not put on um, for cultural reasons that maybe they, there's something that we're not comfortable with that they have said or stand for. But predominantly, it would be to regard to an audience that they might attract that maybe is something we don't want to to promote. But ultimately, we we're a venue available for hire, so there's a there's a lot of the uh, music events that come in that wouldn't wouldn't be what we promote but they come in there's a demand for it and if it doesn't happen here it would happen in another venue in the city so um as a result you know we've got a very wide-ranging program i think the stuff that we put on has a has a particular aesthetic and sound um and that's built up over time uh, but because it's not just music there's there's a kind of arts program as well um which you know opens up to a much wider audience and then there's some kind of what could only be described as entertainment events that maybe aren't sort of cultural necessarily, yeah. but, you know, attract audiences, you know, we're quite a big venue. So it's important that we're, we're a busy venue, um, roughly four to 5,000 people a week come through the venue, um, getting back up to the sort of 2019 numbers where we were just over 25, 250,000 through the year. That's just event attendees. Obviously there's other other visitors to the, the venue as well. So yeah, we're kind of moving towards those numbers again, which is good to see. Yeah, it's good to see. But in terms of the, when you, when you hire out the venue, um, are we talking anything from kind of business conferences to 
crazy parties? Like what's the range of, of kind of r rentals that you do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we do a lot of, uh, we've got quite a big corporate client base now. Um, something we started to really focus on about six or seven years ago. Um, you know, the, the, the club stuff is very Friday, Saturday uh, heavy. Live music can happen any night of the week and it, and it inevitably does. I think we've got gigs on every night this week. And we've got two on tonight. Uh, two on tomorrow. Um, but our clients are, you know, we, we, well, we had the New York Times here during COP26, which was, you know, a, a great event or a series of events that they programmed. And that kind of brought that end of delivery up a notch, which was really good for us as a business and a, and a team to kind of, you know, up our, up our game a wee bit, especially coming out of the last two years that we'd had to, to deliver that. Um, that program was fantastic. But we do quite a lot of product launches, uh, corporate dinners as well. We just did a corporate graffiti day last week, which is something that we've we've started to do quite a bit. Uh, we've got quite a big street arts program. Um, so yeah, the range is huge, and I think that's what makes it interesting for our our staff and our team here. At least I, I hope it makes it interesting mm -hmm. uh, that the it's different every week, um, and the way we configure the rooms is different as well. So we've always got quite a busy crew team building stages, breaking them down, building new things, rigging points and all the rest of it. So it's a very dynamic space. And uh, and I think that's why people like to take it on. You know, you can kind of, you can do your own thing with it. Um, we invest in the kind of infrastructure and and try and get the basics right. And um, and then let people bring bring the, the the pixie dust, as they say, you know, make the make the magic. Um, so we've got our own team that can do that as well. But it's nice seeing what, how other people want to interpret the spaces. Absolutely. I think that that's uh, really interesting to see the different, the different use of space. But do you think people come there for a particular kind of look, um, you know, as in, I guess, the, the warehouse look or whatever, or is, it, is there more to it? Is, is it part of the community side? Is it is What's the what's the magic dust that you're able to lend to these corporate events, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the warehouse um, venue is is definitely a selling point. We we don't have any other warehouse venues in the city. There's a there's a number of them elsewhere in the UK, especially London and kind of Manchester, Liverpool, and and that, that's quite a quite a common thing. But you know, as much as it's a warehouse, we want to bring a real level of kind of comfort and quality to that warehouse mm -hmm. and it feels you know almost like you're walking into a museum now as opposed to an old warehouse at the end of a street which it did uh up mm -hmm. until very recently we just did quite a big uh piece of work which was about kind of opening up the front of the building and just making it feel much more inviting to customers especially during the day as we try and really drive the daytime economy down here um, not taking anything away from our nighttime business, which is obviously, you know, very successful and a, a big part of our, our public program. But we want to, we're trying to position SWG3 as a cultural destination for visitors to the city, but also very much for locals to Glasgow. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com.
And so I'm interested in understanding also the the area around uh, SWG3. I mean, it, it sounds like it went from being relatively derelict or relatively, you know, not very inviting to somewhere that actually people go during the day, as, as is just said. Could you just take us through that and and the role of the community around you in kind of doing that? Yeah, no, you've, you've it's, a, it's a really good point. We, we've um, we've very much grown up in this in this location as the area around us has massively developed and, and matured. Um, when I first was down here, uh, there was one place you could get a sandwich at lunch. There was no real restaurants that you would go to. I bet it wasn't a great sandwich either. No, listen, it was a good sandwich. <laughs> I'm not, not going to have that. It was a it was a great sandwich. It was Montgomery's and they did amazing paninis. Okay. And I miss those paninis. I take it back. Um, I take it back. It's, it's, it sounds pretty good. It was brilliant, and um, but uh, you know, so so stepping back a wee bit, we are we are Clydeside. We're right on, pretty much right on the river, and mm-hmm. you know, pre I don't know if it was the sixties or seventies when we filled in the river and the SEC campus, which is our main events campus in Glasgow, also Scotland, really. Um, it it was built on that land, um, so so the river used to come pretty much to our door, just the other side of the railway track. And um, and that's obviously why these buildings, these warehouses were put up here was to service the, you know, the, the, the river and, and the shipping industry that was that was booming way back. But, um, you know, we were at the end of a dead end street and it, it did, you know, taxi drivers used to be kind of like, I, I don't know if I want to go down here. They didn't even know this street existed 15 years ago. Um, but as as Finiston, which is the area at the top of the street, has really blossomed into this kind of restaurant district of great bars great restaurants all independent and i don't think this was a a planning decision from glasgow city council this was like one or two really good operators moving in doing a good thing and attracting other good operators and you know before you know it you've got this really kind of vibrant little quarter of the city which has just emerged in the last 15 years uh, and then the hydro opened, which was the you know the new facility that the, the Scottish Events Campus put, built, which has become one of the busiest venues in the world, if not the visit busiest. So you layer that on top, and you've suddenly got this kind of really really busy sort of um, space at the top of the street, which is feeds in and feeds off each other with the restaurants, and we've very much added to that and 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 benefited from from all that development. So it's become a really interesting area now that the city is really focusing on the development of the kind of redevelopment of the along the Clyde uh, the cor- corridor then you know we can play a really significant role in that connection piece between the west end which is you know ultimately a very affluent area and the river and then over to to govern where there's a new footbridge going in at the end of next year and 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 this is uh, you know we sit right in the heart of that so we're very very conscious of what's going on around us I was going to ask you if you took some credit for for the redevelopment of the area, but it sounds like there's there's a lot of other things happening. But you take some yeah, credit. There's I a, would lot, imagine. a lot, of, a lot of things going on. I mean, we've 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 very much focused on our little patch down here, and you know, we've definitely regenerated this week this little pocket. But um, mm-hmm. I don't think we can claim credit for for everything else that's going on around us. But I think we add <laughs> we add something to it anyway. That's great. So. Wanted to touch on sustainability. I know this is a really important thing for you. I've I've read through a lot of uh, what's on your website, and it does sound like you're you're doing a great job. Uh, obviously, there's there's way more to do. Anytime you bring people together, there's always waste. But take us a little bit through that journey of sustainability and what you've done so far, and and what you're hoping to do in the future, or what you're planning to do. 
Um, yeah, I quite often kind of when asked about sustainability, I quite often reference the what used to be your environmental policy. And, you know, we started to apply for funding and maybe about 2012, 2013, once we'd secured the building. And there was always that little bit at the back. What's your environmental policy? And you could usually put it onto one side of A4 and it was probably lifted from another venue's policy or an arts organization. And it was really a box ticking exercise, you know, but now it's very much front and center of all the decision-making processes, certainly here and at, and and across all businesses now, you know, it's um, it's so important, you know, especially, you know, those businesses that plan to be here uh, for, for the, for, you know, for this sort of medium to long-term. Um, I, yeah, like I say, we've, we've always looked at SWG3 as a long-term project. It was never a kind of quick fix in and out. Well, you know, seven years just kind of, knocking around doing up someone else's building we wanted to get some return for that and um and and and, and you know once we'd kind of secured the full site that we're on now we, we we wanted to try and improve how we how we operate and how we perform and i guess 2019 was the year we really started to look at that uh, not that we were completely oblivious to it with our heads in the sand but we didn't we didn't it didn't really kind of come through as a, you know, as, as something that we were able to kind of take forward until around about 2019. Uh, we just commissioned a, an architect, Stalin Brand, to look at our site and just think about a master plan for, for our site because we were probably using less than 50% of the usable space. Um, and we had a huge demand for workspaces and we had just acquired some vacant and dirty land which we felt could become a community garden. Um, so they they redesigned this master plan and uh, we're, we're, we're kind of working our way through that. But that was 2000, end of 2018 into 2019. We started having conversations about our operation, how we can improve that. Um, and that's when, you know, we had the chat, uh, David came in, as I said, and we started to look at this uh, renewable uh, heating and cooling system uh, at Body Heat, which which has become our kind of headline piece, but it's not the only thing we're doing. You know, I always think of SWG3 as a we have a cultural program and we have a capital program, and mm-hmm. one enables the other, but they're both there to to sort of ensure the long term viability of cultural and creative practice on this site, and our capital program has to be delivered with sustainability right at the heart of it and our cultural program even more so you know as that's our public facing program so we've, we've just been kind of going through a number of um <laughs> number of really painstaking uh data finding uh kind of work over the last few years which has been tricky because the last few years haven't been typical so your mm-hmm. your data is not exactly you know what you what what you would have expected it to be had you done this 2017 18 and 19 but you know we are where we are um we've got a really good understanding of what we what our performance is and we've we've devised a a route map to get to a net zero position which is going to take a hell of a lot you know and not just the body heat system turning on that that has the potential to to kind of half our carbon um footprint as an operation but there's a there's another 60 to 80 tons that we need to deal with on, on that front and um yeah i mean it's it, you know as much as we can 
we can design a system. It's a, it's a massive cultural shift for us in terms of our staff, our residents, but our audience as well. And uh, they need to come on that journey with us. Um, and uh, it, all venues are feeling it and, and thinking about it. It's just how how you can implement it, given the climate we're in, which is challenging as it is. And, and any any change of operations of that sort of size uh, will, will, will cost, you know. Absolutely. So want you to kind of explain body heat in, in a little bit of detail. Uh, and also wanted to cover a little bit of the kind of scope one and two, which I think you sort of addressed, but now you're kind of like looking at the scope three uh, areas. Um, and I think body heat is kind of part of that. But can you just explain how it works and what is it and how it works first? Okay. So body heat at SWG3 is a low carbon heating and cooling system, which is supplemented with a ground source heat supply from boreholes. How we do it is we capture the heat that's generated in our venue spaces from the audience. That heat rises and is captured in quite conventional AC cassettes, where it is sucked in and piped back to a plant room at the back of the venue. It's then converted in that plant room into liquid where it kind of moves along more plant uh, pipes and into the boreholes, which are um, in the, underneath the community garden. And then that heat is stored in these boreholes. And then we can pull that out as heating uh, or cooling at any point. Um, and what we have at SWG3 is we have busy venue spaces, which is great for generating the heat. But we also have other spaces, workspaces that require ambient heat. And our cooling demands are far greater than our heating demands across the whole complex because we're trying to cool down the venue as the body heat rises. So we uh, have an excess heat load, which is then used to heat the ambient spaces across the site, yeah, from lobbies to studio spaces and and, and beyond. We're, we're about to pipe it into a new building that will be fully heated by um, the excess body heat that's, that's produced for the weekends so let me see if from a very layman's layman's kind of mind in, in audio if you will to kind of see if i understand this so you have a venue uh, let's say it's a concert going on you have a lot of body heat being generated and instead of kind of opening up the windows and just letting that go off to the atmosphere you capture that and you're able to kind of transfer that into uh, liquid and then put it into the borehole so that then you can distribute that to other parts of the venue and use as heating where it's needed and rather than you know cooling down that one space where it's captured or multiple spaces where it's captured in exchange is that sort of what i'm what i'm understanding yeah exactly so you said it much simpler than i did um but that no that's it it's uh I mean, we've all been in that in a venue in a club where the the sweat is literally running down the walls it's that hot. And, you know, pre, prior to that, that heat would just disappear through our roof and into the atmosphere. Yeah. And um, it's a big, especially the galvanizers, it's a very voluminous space and there's a lot of energy that's just getting wasted. Yeah. Uh, you know, and now that we're doing it and it's working, it all makes sense. And we'll be, what, what were we doing all this time? You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's mad um, that there's quite often there's a solution right in front of you. Um, yeah. I know it's a very circular economy, right? You have this, you're producing this heat, you're producing this kind of, which would normally be considered waste, but actually if you reframe it, it's not waste anymore, right? It's, it's a valuable asset that you can use in other places. Yeah, no, ab absolutely. And, uh, 
circular economy. That's a that's a phrase that's been kind of getting used a lot recently and something that's moved into our language, I guess, in the last couple of years. As we started this sustainability journey, we we started to talk about SWG3 becoming a circular campus and trying mm-hmm. to understand what that means for us um, and, and, you know, how that ties into, like I said, the capital program and the cultural program. And, you know, a lot of it's just about communication and a, a complete awareness of what everyone's doing on site and how you can repurpose and reuse and, and rethink the way you do things. And, you know, tying all that together is such a, it's so much more of a job than you actually think, but, um, you know, we're very much thinking about the circular economy here and, and that's a part of our kind of a uh, narrative as we move into next year. So wanted to kind of, Take a little bit more the scope three. I mean, this sounds like a, a scope three initiative, but are there other things that you're thinking about in terms of, you know, going beyond the recycling or the kind of relatively simple uh, opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess um, our, our, our biggest challenges are audiences, you know, how our, our audiences come to the venue and and how, you know, we can improve that footprint of the, the carbon footprint of the audiences. So we've done a a sustainable transport strategy for the venue and you know that that again that's a huge cultural shift for the venue um and it's going to take time and it's going to need you know other factors out with our control we need we need better public transport connectivity in the city and um you know but we we know that is happening there's this work in the pipeline in glasgow to improve that which is you know massively needed um mm-hmm. So that also the way our staff and our residents arrive. So there's a lot of work to be done there. Our suppliers, you know, we're starting, we're starting to have conversations with our suppliers about how how goods arrive here, how goods are produced, you know, and what that looks like and how we can improve that area of the business. Um, I mean, you, you have to literally look at absolutely every aspect of the business. And something like this is very complex. We're not... We're not a venue. We're not a typical venue that you know just does events because we are a workspace for many people. We are a retail space. We have kind of F and B offers on site beyond the bars for the events. So there's a, a number of different aspects which gives it its challenges, but also means that there's also solutions in amongst those challenges for mm-hmm. you know. But it's down to that communications piece, and you know that's just it's just going to take a long time. But yeah, we we need to be aware of the scope three, the big elephant <laughs> scope three that, you know, you can really focus on one and two and you can, you can see a route out of that, but there's, there's just a, the, the big beast that needs tackled as well, or certainly needs to be acknowledged. Yeah. I think it's very refreshing that even if you don't have all the answers on the website, you, you talk about that. I, I think a lot of the events and kind of business travel world that, that I'm in like to talk a lot about sustainability, but then as soon as you kind of mention scope three, it becomes this, this kind of like, oh, we, we're not there yet, we're, you know, or we need some big technological revolution to get there. But I yeah. think, as you say, it's part of being a bigger picture and kind of, you know, knowing what, what else is happening around you. Yeah, and I think that's all fair enough. You know, it, it's not it's not going to be easy to get there, but, you know, you, you, you certainly can start chipping away at it. And um, being at the table uh, for these bigger conversations is, is just is a, is just been great. You know, we've started to be at, brought into conversations with the city and, you know, other, you know, big uh, kind of public bodies that um, that can make those influence. So, you know, we just feel that that's, that's a big step forward for us. 
Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I, I read quite a bit about is, is you know, your take, you have a number of policies for the venue. Um, and I think when it comes to com things like accessibility, you know, having um, people with, with accessibility challenges uh, participate in, in events and come to your venue, etc. But also inclusivity, you have a, a great dress code. I love it. Dress however the heck you want is essentially what I read. I don't know if it was those exact words, but it does sound like you, you, you keep it simple, but you're also very conscious of being inclusive of everybody. Could you talk a little bit about kind of your approach to, to, to the kind of inclusivity, I guess? I mean, I guess, um, I guess it just, it's, it's common sense really, isn't it? You know, you want people to, to feel at ease. You want people to be comfortable. You want people to enjoy the venue, uh, right across the board. Um, it is common sense, but I know many venues don't do that in practice, right? And I believe that you have a reputation for actually, you know, taking this quite seriously all the way through. I, well, that's good to hear. It's not something, <laughs> I mean, we, we very much do, but I, 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 I um, you know, it's, I, like I say, it's good to hear, but, um, you know, I think we're also very conscious of, um, you know, everyone's welfare on site, you know, and that kind of people feeling comfortable. And there's a, there's been a lot of negative publicity, at, I would say, in terms of the kind of, uh, nighttime economy uh, over the last couple of years or uh, with like a number of different kind of allegations against it but we very much take a strong stance on terms of people feeling uh, at ease and, and comfortable in the venue no matter you know no matter what their positions are on on, on any any fact but um you know we, we've got a great poster campaign <laughs> which is actually targeted we have a sort of the, the, there's there's both ver many versions of it, but ultimately, I think the poster campaign and the the gents toilet is a is a, basically just has the big headline "Don't be a dick," you know, and it's kind of targeting <laughs> at that harassment of, uh, in particular, female male harassment of females. But there's a re reversal uh, poster or similar tones in, in in female toilets and in gender neutral toilets when we are operating events that require that. So it's a it's just a it's, yeah we've got a very kind of open uh open book policy to to the venue and we very much want it to be accessible and loved by all i think i think many people will appreciate that so when i want to start wrapping up but i wanted to get your your view on uh just events in general um in terms of how you see things developing if you see kind of i don't know if you will the event of the future what an event of the future looks like and how is that different from something that happens today and it could be any type of event but where do you see kind of events as as a kind of thing evolving i mean i'm just glad events haven't moved into the the, the kind of uh the the threat of the hybrid event or the kind of online event that we were all getting faced with in the middle of 2020 when everyone was again going you need to repurpose your venue bit pretty much as a tv studio because everything's going to be you know and, and there was a lot of there was a lot of messaging going like that, but you know, live is back and live is the best event experience and always will be. So I don't, I don't think that's ever going to change. I think um, the operations are getting slicker, you know, ticketing uh, and your kind of uh, your serve and everything's getting slicker, but events, I mean, I'd like to think that they, 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 they do not change massively in terms of what they look and feel like. Cause ultimately it's a feeling, isn't it? It's an emotion. And, you know that live um, experience cannot be um, cannot cannot be experienced uh, digitally or through anyone else's kind of prism apart from your own. So 
I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't shift a lot, but I think the way that we deliver events in terms of like that kind of um, accreditation and that kind of, you know, process of buying. And as long as things don't get too overloaded with marketing and advertising and kind of too much of that, um, then, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's so important that people get to experience live, live events in, in all their formats. So, you know, but they're becoming... I guess things are becoming a little bit more niche and people are not necessarily going to the same venue week in, week out. When I was in my 20s, I would probably go to the same club every Friday night to listen to the same kind of music because I loved that kind of music. And then things would change a little bit over time and you would maybe go to a different space and you would stick to that. People move around a lot more. They maybe go to two or three different events a night sometimes. And they don't necessarily go to the same venue week in, week out, or month in, month out. So, you know, as a venue, you need to be really, really dynamic. And you need to be kind of aware of that and not expect the same audience to be returning uh, as much as you want them to. Uh, they're not going to. Um, so you just need to be kind of constantly reimagining how you can use your space. And, you know, we've got a very creative team here that, that, that do that. But I think that's going to be the challenge moving forward is to constantly kind of you know, pulling and, and kind of making that venue space attractive to new and different audiences um, who always are seeking out a, a new experience. So how do you make that new experience in the same venue? Uh, that's the challenge for us. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I like what you said there about uh, re-engaging audiences and just keeping keeping the space very fresh, I guess, for them and kind of having new things for them. I think that makes a lot of sense. Andrew, uh, been a pleasure having a chat with you. I think it's been really interesting to understand uh, the whole history of SWG, SWG3 and, and how it's all come together and what it's become. So really fascinating. Thank you for sharing that with us.